Hello, everybody. T-Bane here with another episode of the Revival Church Podcast. That's right, we are still doing it. <laughs> um, episode four today. Um, so glad to uh, to have you listening. Um, just thank you if you've if you followed us so far. Uh, apparently, if you make it to episode seven, then you got a good chance of having a a long term show. Who knows? I don't. I'm not. You know, Mister T- Statistics guy. Um, but we have an awesome show for you today. Um, this was actually recorded a while back, kind of in the midst of the quarantine thing. Um, so if, uh, if you hear some stuff that sounds like old news, um, that's not that surprising because everything moves so fast nowadays. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I sat down with Justin and we talked about people that God hates. Um, and I know that might be a little bit jarring to hear off the jump, but, uh, he explains it, and by the time you get to the end, we're we're actually in a really good place. So uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, just uh, in podcast news, we are having uh, some feedback come in, uh, people sending in emails and suggestions for new shows and things like that. And uh, that's really exciting for me because that's honestly that's the main thing that I want to see from the podcast is uh, is engagement. I want it to be something that grows in a community, not just me rambling. So, uh, that's, uh, that's just, that's really cool. And, uh, it's going to the, the things that I've heard this week will definitely directly impact future shows. So, um, if you want to be a part of that, you can reach us at revival church, uh, podcast at gmail.com. That's revival church podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, we'll get back to you. Um, I'm checking it and, uh, we're, uh, we're just growing together, which is awesome. Um, so anyway, I uh, I trimmed down a little bit of the uh, the actual interview here just to uh, just to save on time, um, b- mainly because you've you've already met Justin at this point in the last couple episodes. Um, but for any of you that don't know, uh, Justin Luttrell is actually the uh, principal here at Riverview High School in Searcy, um, and he's kind of a kind of a prominent member in the community and uh, one of the smarter people that I know. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy what he has to say today. So here we go with episode four, People That God Hates. So today... uh, We've gone over a little bit of what you're going to talk about, um, and it's it's kind of, I mean, I guess it could be viewed as controversial, um, especially the title at least, but you said you want to talk about people that God hates. Is that right? Yeah. So really, uh, one of the things that I like to do, and they're, they're pretty provocative just in, in their titles, but uh, just the idea of stuff you don't hear in Sunday school. And so the idea for a lot, a lot of these little sermonettes, they, they really came from um, a time when I was uh, probably about 15, 16 years old, uh, and I was actually sitting in a science class in high school. Um, actually, I was 15, sitting in a science class, physical science to be exact. <clears throat> and as we're learning about uh, different reactions and bonds, covalent bonds, all that really cool stuff that I have no idea what I'm talking about, um, I, I happen to be done with my work. And as you know, in high school, when you're done with your work, you just kind of sit there. Um, <clears throat> sometimes you're talking to people. Well, I was, I was kind of the nerdy guy. And so I was in Bible quizzing. And so I pull out my Bible quizzing cards and I'm kind of going 
going over them and some kids are talking <clears throat> and I don't I don't know exactly what happened but somehow the story of David and Goliath got brought up and so everybody kind of knows David and Goliath even if even if you're not in church you know especially in the Bible belt you know the story David and Goliath well it blew my mind that the teacher came over at one point and they were talking about David cutting off the head of Goliath and yeah. I, I'm 15 years old and this is the first time I've heard this Right. And so I'm like, how how is this possible? I'm like this, this, no, David, he killed Goliath with a slingshot, but it's not true. But at at the time, you know, just being being so new and in, in, into all this, and uh, I just I did not have that, I guess, uh, foundational knowledge that David killed Goliath with a sword. He cut his head off. But you don't hear that. I mean, that that doesn't make for a good cartoon on Saturday mornings when 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 you're waking up, someone taking a sword and cutting a giant's head off. It's not something you want to necessarily re- uh, learn about. Maybe when you're reading the Bible, at least what you think about. Uh, but nevertheless, it is things found in the Bible, and so it really kind of <clears throat> took on a, a form of its own with me because I told myself I'd never want to put myself in a situation where, where something like that happens again, where I am so far removed from the stories of the Bible that even the most, I guess, basic story that you would learn in Sunday school that I had no knowledge of. And so from that point forward, I, I really wanted to make sure that I, I really just studied the scriptures and, and would study over the stories of the Bible. And I have found just the Old Testament and even the stories in the Old Testament uh, to bring so much light to so many different things. But there are things in there that nobody ever talks about. Right. Right. And so one of the things that, that has come from this is, is the idea of stuff you don't hear in Sunday school, because I never heard in Sunday school that David cut Goliath's head off with a sword. Right. Did you ever hear that in Sunday school? Maybe you did. Yes, I did. Okay. I see, did. so he was probably listening. I maybe I wasn't listening. So uh, if you're out there and, and you taught my Sunday school classes, please don't, don't hold it against me. <laughs> it's just something I'd never realized. Uh, and so today I kind of have a concept, uh, and the, the concepts, they're not, it's not new, uh, but it is very provocative. Uh, today's concept is people God hates. And really the basis of this, it's, it's not necessarily new, um, but it's also not something that you're going to hear every day. And so at, at the foundation of this, really, we're talking about, I guess, the parallelism between love and hate. And, and the, the idea of love... This isn't a new concept. It's not, it's not the first time you probably ever heard about it. And I, and I think there's probably 10,000 songs uh, that you could pick on a Sunday morning about God's love, right? right. Yeah. No one, all the time. Yeah. No one ever sings about God, God's hate. Uh, and in fact, when I was putting this together, I, it really started to make me think of the song uh, from Point of Grace. Uh, actually, March of 1995. Whoa. Yeah. Point, Point of, of grace. grace. Yeah, let's go back there for a moment. So I didn't know Point of Grace in 1995. I was probably sitting at home watching Matlock, uh, eating some smacks or something like that, because that's that's how weird I was as a little child. Um, but Point of Grace, all the way back in 1995, it actually was just a few months before that they released a song entitled More Than Anything to radio stations across the country. So I don't know if you guys have heard this before. 
I have heard this song probably ten thousand times. Do you know that? You know? Do you know more than God loves people more than anything? Yes. Yeah, can you yeah, can I you do. sing a little ditty for the people out there? Yeah, I think it goes. God loves people more than any. It's something. Like yes, that. exactly. Yeah. So this 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 kind of just exploded across. Uh, this was January of nineteen ninety five. Um, the single was really overshadowed by by another song called "The Great Divide." And so, mm-hmm. if you've ever been sitting at home at two or three o'clock in the morning and you see those CD commercials come on of, of old Christian contemporary yeah. songs, you've probably heard The Great Divide. Yeah, like WoW, like WoW hits, but for, you know, CCM. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when when people actually knew what CCM was. Right. And so the album actually went on that year to win the album of the year, and The Great Divide took song of the year. So these are true facts from... Um, from Point of Grace. And and by the way, shout out to Point of Grace because they actually formed at Washita Baptist here in Arkansas. Oh, and man. so kind of like a like a uh, a little little um tidbit uh, to get you home. Um, I actually I I actually didn't know that. Yeah. So. Um the they had they had one song I don't remember what it was, but it was on an orange CD I remember that we had when we were kids and mom would listen to it. And I didn't like it all that much, but <laughs> they, but they did have a lot of stuff that I that I did like, especially back in the day. Um, yeah, so if if you know Point of Grace, maybe you know this song. Uh, they they had things like "Dying to Reach You," "Gather at the River," "God is with us," "Love like no other." Again, another song about love. Uh, but this song, "God Loves People More Than Anything." I mean, as we're sitting here. And you were singing it to me. I was actually envisioning the Bible singing Evans family on the platform at our church singing God loves people more than anything. And so as the decade has kind of come and gone, you know, we know churches throughout the nation, we always tout the love of God. It's always about the for God so loved the world. I mean, who doesn't know that verse, right? Right. And so we kind of take this message everywhere we go about the love of God. And in fact, it's probably proper because that is the message that resonates with almost every Christian. In fact, it has to resonate with every Christian I've come across, is that God loves you, God loves people. Exactly. Yeah, so it's probably going to come as a complete shock that today's podcast and stuff you don't hear in Sunday school is actually the exact opposite, because today's topic, as we've mentioned before, is people God hates. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I think you're going to have to explain that one a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we will get into it, because a lot of people are probably sitting there thinking, that the whole three of you that are probably listening to this right now, is God doesn't hate people. Well, your theology is just misguided, Justin. God, he doesn't hate people. Well, to that I say this. As it is written, Esau, have I hated. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, uh-oh. And that's actually scripture, so I'm already throwing it out. But let's not just throw it out there. Let's put it into context. So hear me out. The Bible is very clear. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. So if, if you don't have it, you can just pretend that you have it, uh, like we do in church anyways. Just stare at your phone for a while as I read over it, and, and then, then we'll say we've done it together. So in Romans chapter 9, we find the Apostle Paul, as I believe the writer to be, having just penned some of the most quoted words in the Bible uh, in, in Romans chapter 8. So maybe you've heard of these verses before. In Romans chapter 8, it says, "'Who shall separate us from the love of Christ?' You ever heard that verse before? It's a good one. It's a great one. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for slaughter. And he says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. us. Then he goes on, and this is even a bigger quote. I am persuaded 
Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities or powers or things present or things to come, or height or depth or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, how much more can you ask for, right? The God of all creation loving us and nothing separating us from that love. It's pretty awesome, right? Yes. So why, when we go on to the very next chapter in chapter nine, if you're keeping up with me, Paul goes and he talks about a heaviness that's on his heart and not just a heaviness on his heart, but a heaviness on his heart for the Jewish people, his own countrymen, because Paul was Roman but he was also Jewish. And so it's in this chapter that, that we find after declaring the love and the passion of God and the love and the passion that Paul has for his people, he begins to write about a particularly controversial and a pretty salient issue among the Jews. And, and the topic is actually God's rejection of them, his rejection of the Jews and his reception of the Gentiles. So knowing this concept tended to actually harden their hearts because these were the people of God. They had never been rejected. Now, all of a sudden, they are being rejected by God Almighty. To them, it was almost acute to blaspheme, and they really just could not reconcile it. Um, And so they saw this rejection of them and the reception of the Gentiles as completely contrary to God's Word. Right. And so Paul begins to to pin this argument about their rejections, And, and as he does this, he begins to use examples, and he starts out using the example of Abraham. He says, hey, Abraham, he's perfect to begin with because he has two sons of blessings. Yeah, 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 okay. We know Abraham actually had more than two sons. Hopefully everybody out there knows he had more than two sons, all right? I mean, I believe the song says that Abraham had many sons. Many sons. And many many, sons. Many, many. We only know about, yes, we only know about eight of them, all right? (laughs) But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess he probably had a lot more going on than the Duggars at this point, okay? Oh, man. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll move on from there. But Paul's metaphor here is really of two halves because he begins to talk about Abraham's two sons. And so when he's talking about his two sons, he's not talking about those from Keturah. He's talking about his two sons, one from Hagar and one from Sarah. We know them today as Ishmael and Isaac. And so in his passage, when he's talking about these two sons, he, he makes this, this divide, this parallel, this metaphor of two halves being Ishmael and Isaac. And he calls actually the children of Ishmael the children of the flesh. And then he begins to re- weave in the story of Rebekah, and he kind of briefly creates this scene. So you've got these two distinct halves, and he says, you've got those of Isaac, which are the promise, and those of the flesh, which are Ishmael. And so it's in this context that he begins to use Rebecca's story. And he, he, he mentions this right here in Romans chapter 9. He says, not only this, but when Rebecca had also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. So we know that, the, that they're talking about in Rebecca's story. This is Isaac going on now. Rebecca is going to be pregnant with twins. And the Bible says in verse 11, for the children being not yet born neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said to her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Right. Yeah, that's, pretty, that's pretty powerful right there. 
Yeah. All right, God is talking to her, and it says, It was said unto her, The elder is going to serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And that's, you know, that's pretty antithetical to what everybody, the way that everybody looked at stuff back then, right? Because, I mean, the, the firstborn was the one that, uh, the firstborn was always the one that had the power, right? The one that always got the blessing and all that stuff, which is what you see in, in the story of Jacob and Esau. So Yes, yes. And so this is really the, the cusp of everything that Paul is talking about here. Because if you, as you go out throughout history, it was always the firstborn son, always the firstborn son who would kind of take over the family. It was always the firstborn son um, that he would get the inheritance. In fact, there, there's even stories in the Bible, if the firstborn son is married, and the secondborn son isn't, and the firstborn son dies, the secondborn son gets to marry the firstborn son's wife. How odd is this? And then all the children that they have together belong to the firstborn son who's dead. Yeah, that's... Yeah, think about that for a moment. That's that's a tough that's a tough sell nowadays. <laughs> exactly. And so actually that's that actually gets us to the story of Tamar, but we won't even go there. Oh wow. There's yeah, something so, else you didn't learn yeah, in Sunday school. That's something else you probably <laughs> so. did not talk about in Sunday school. Maybe one day we'll talk about Tamar in here. Yeah. But a- as you see, all right, one of the gravest errors that we make as Christians is that when we see something in scripture that we don't like or something that doesn't suit our thinking or our theology, we just automatically discard it. When people read that, you know, read, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, they're just like, well, God doesn't hate people, so that just doesn't make sense. We're just going to throw this out. But we shouldn't do that, because when we, when we do not have the ability to reconcile what happens or what appears to be two different thoughts or characteristics in our mind, uh, we assume by exploring the topic that one of those ideas are going to have to be inferior to the other. Thus, it makes the scriptures err. And so I think that that's a really big thing that a lot of times Christians get into, is when they see something in the Word of God, they can't reconcile it, and they're scared, if they explore it any further, that the two parallels that they see, one's going to win out over the other, and then it means that something was wrong. Well, in in anything that we do theologically, um, and I don't want to try to sound smarter than I am, but the... uh, a lot of times it's easy to, and Brother Whitley talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's, it's easy to allow your worldview to dictate your theology rather than the other way around. So if you're, if you're just assuming that God is love and that's all there is to it and there's no nuance to that, then you know, you're, not, you're not letting the Bible um, influence your thinking there. You're, you're allowing what you think about God to influence that. You know what I'm saying? So. And it's almost exactly what's happening here, because the Jews, for thousands of years, have followed after this God, and they have this view of who he is. Right. But now all of a sudden, they're be- Paul's saying, you're being rejected. Right. And they don't understand that, because it doesn't meet their theological views. And so the, the, Paul even, he, his fear is that they're becoming hardened by this, that they're just going to turn away altogether. Uh, and so, and unfortunately, we see this... Uh, all across uh, the world today, most of the time, uh, when you meet someone who claims to be Jewish, they're talking more of their nationality uh, these days than they are their religion. And so what's kind of going on here? We do the same thing just as you said as Christians. So Now, uh, and you may be getting to this later on, I don't know, um, 
But when it says, you know, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, um, it's not necessarily, you know, and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag here, so I'm, I'm hoping I'm not, you know, spoiling something. But, like, to say that Esau have I hated is really more, it's not hated in the sense that we hate, you know, pineapple on pizza or whatever. Like, it's it's more of a a rejection like like what you were talking about with them it's it's not it's not an active i just like you so much that i hate you you know it's more like a i just i disregard you, you yeah know? let's talk about that because the very next verse paul actually pens these words he says what shall we say then is there unrighteousness with god right god forbid yeah and so he's trying to tell them you know, some of these things, and they're just not quite listening to them. And one of the verses that I always quote uh, when, when, when I'm teaching Sunday school, uh, I'm always quote, I'll, I always quote, and if you ask them, they can probably quote this word for word in the KJ, the old good old KJV. But Romans 15 and 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so, it's important that we understand the things that were written aforetime. And the Jews were really good about this because they had kept these scriptures for so long. They understood these stories inside and out. It was in all of their schools. And so Paul's, he's talking to them, and really what he's saying is, this has been here all along. This isn't something new that has just come up, you guys being rejected. Yeah. All right? This, this is not something new. This has happened all through Scripture, and he pulls out the example of Esau when he says, Esau have I hated. Yes. That clearly, at some point, something happened where Esau was rejected. Right. And Jacob was the favored one. And so that's, that's really kind of where we're leaning to when we begin to talk about Paul and his advice, and we begin to search for those things that were written aforetime. Maybe we could learn something for, from this, and Paul's argument really was taught all throughout the scriptures, just as we had said, but the Jews had missed it. And we do this all the time ourselves, because it was always in scripture. You mentioned earlier, you mentioned earlier. A few moments later. All right, and we are back. Um, You never know what's going to happen around here at Revival Church. That's Uh, right. The world does not stop. It for doesn't. Revival Church podcast. Not even the podcast. People are still in need, and God is still working through people like Brother Timmy. Yeah. Um, so just for y'all's information, what just happened was we had somebody walk in in the middle of the podcast um, that needed a ride to work. And, you know, I mean, I'm not bragging on myself for anything dumb. It's not like it was hard to do. But I ran him over there, and I invited them to church and stuff, and I ho- hopefully they'll. Hopefully they'll come. So if, you know, Chris and Ashley, if y'all happen to be listening to this at some point by, you know, by divine providence, then uh, hope we see you at church on Sunday in the parking lot, (laughs) assuming that we're actually going to have it in the parking lot. Uh, I'm sick of this quarantine stuff. (laughs) I am sick of it. So anyway, where were we? Let's see. We got... uh, Where'd you leave off here? We, we were really, we were talking about how we read things in the Old Testament, the things that were written aforetime, how they were written for our learning. Yeah. And we, we talked about the Jewish people, and they actually had the advantage in this, which is interesting because Paul is giving them how this has been happening since 
since they're prophets, and they still don't understand this idea of this rejection. And so we're going to take Paul's advice for just a little bit here, and we're going to search those things that were written aforetime, so maybe we can learn something and figure out what is Paul's argument in all of this when he's telling them, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, because somehow the Jews missed it, that, as we said, the secondborn was always the one of promise. And the firstborn had always represented the flesh. So let's go back to the book of Genesis. The first, the first children born. The OG. The OGs. All right. OG and one of, the them was, one of them was a real OG because um, he thought he was a gangster. Only he didn't use a gun. He used a rock. And so uh, we'll, we'll kind of talk about that because we're talking Cain and Abel. Yes, that's what that's kind of where I figured we were going. Yeah, so the firstborn, all right, the firstborn, which was Cain, all right, tried to sacrifice from convenience. So they had this idea of sacrifice. Most likely they got it from the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and when God had to sacrifice a lamb just to clothe them. Uh, So hopefully you guys didn't miss that part when you were reading the Bible. Shabam, the lamb sacrificed from the foundation of the world. Just think about that for a moment. Boom. Boom. All right. But anyways, we'll go on and we'll talk about Cain and Abel. So they're making these sacrifices to the Lord. All right. Abel worked with animals. And so he was sacrificing animals. But Cain, he kind of worked from the ground. And so he tried to sacrifice the things he had access to, which is kind of what we do today when we think of sacrifice. We're like, we'll just sacrifice what we have. And sometimes it's not what God had required of us. And so that's really what's going on here. And so Cain, he goes to sacrifice or give of these fruits of the ground, but God doesn't accept it. In fact, he rejects it. But Abel's sacrifice, he does accept. And so Abel's the younger one. Cain, the Bible says his countenance fell and he became angry. You've been angry before because your sibling got some praise or something that you didn't? Imagine if it's the God of all creation. Probably not going to sit very well with you. And so God shows up and and, and he says, you know, Cain, let, let me give you some advice. How about you go back, make the right sacrifice, or as the Bible says, do well, and it will be accepted. But God warned him and said, hey, if you don't make this right, sin is lying at the door, and it's waiting on you, and it wants you, man. And as you know, the story goes, Cain does not go back and make it right. In fact, the Bible says he kills his brother. And so you see, from the very first, this first conception in the Bible, the father chooses the second born and rejects the firstborn. Yeah, we're seeing a pattern start to... Yeah, we're seeing this pattern. And some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, <laughs> doesn't Abel die? How is that being accepted <laughs> by God? What, what kind of child of promise is that when, when the firstborn kills you? Yeah, right, that's well, not... Yeah. Not, not the greatest way to fulfill a promise. Not the greatest way. Luckily, we have Genesis 4 and 25, where the Bible says Adam knew his wife again. We, we won't get into that. That's stuff <laughs> you don't learn in Sunday school and you don't learn on this podcast. But the Bible does tell us that she bore a son, and she called his name Seth. And then she says this, For God saith she, 
hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. And so what she's saying is she's got someone now to replace yes. Abel, which, as, as if you guys don't know, is going to be Seth. And so the promise has always been with this firstborn, and the first, would been with the secondborn, excuse me, and the first birth has always represented the flesh or things of the world or sin or lust. And so God makes a covenant later on with a man named Abram, who we know as Abraham, Father Abraham. As Timmy said, he had many sons. But Paul uses Abraham as the starting point for his argument in Romans chapter 9. And it's the Abrahamic covenant that consisted of God's promises towards Abraham that all the nations through him would be blessed. But Abraham, like so many of us, got impatient. You ever been impatient waiting on the Lord? Yes, absolutely. Exactly. And sometimes, and I know you guys don't do this out there, but when you feel like God has promised you something and you start to look around and you don't see it happening, all right, I've, I'll, I'll just admit, I've been there and I've said, you know what? I'm going to maybe make this little safety net yes. in case yes. this really doesn't come through so that at the end, I'm, I'm still going to be all right. And really, that's what's happening here. Only it's kind of Sarah who suggests, hey, Abraham, how about you go and you take my handmaid, Hagar? Yes. And of course, Abraham didn't say no. All right. He actually, right. yeah. So he took Hagar and they went and had a child together. And this child they named. Ishmael. Ishmael. Paul would call him the children of the flesh. And Ishmael would be blessed in his own right. We find that Ishmael does receive a blessing because he does have some connection to the father, which is his, his father, which is Abraham, but he would not receive the promise because that was reserved for the secondborn Isaac. In fact, there's even a part in the Bible when God is telling Abraham this. And Abraham basically says, well, well what about Ishmael? What, what kind of blessing? How about you take Ishmael? Use Ishmael for the promise. But again, God rejects that because Ishmael represents the children of the flesh or the sin or lust. And so this is where our story is really found in today's episode, because as Paul's talking, Isaac marries Rebekah. And Rebekah, like Sarah, could not conceive a child at first. And so the Bible says that God would open her womb with twins. Pretty, pretty miraculous, right? Yes. First, you can't have kids at all. And now all of a sudden, you're pregnant you with multiple twins. Multiple at a time. Yeah. Right? And think about this. You know, Rebecca, she didn't, she's never, she's never had kids before, but she understands that something is going on inside of her that doesn't feel right. And so she's really scared because she's been barren this whole time. And now she's finally pregnant. And all of a sudden she has these, these things going on inside of her. She's thinking, maybe I've lost it. Maybe this isn't going to happen for me. But the Bible says it did. And when she spoke to the Lord, the Lord told her, the elder is going to serve the younger. You've got two, you've got two things going on inside of you. And they're warring, Rebecca. But at the end, the elder is going to serve the younger. And thus we have the story. It's, it's Jacob and Esau. We say Jacob and Esau, but really it's Esau and Jacob because Jacob is the second born. If you know the story, Esau's a man's man. He likes to hunt. 
He goes outside. He's a very hairy man. He's just a burly man's man. He reminds me of myself. Okay, so Timmy says he reminds him of himself. I'm just kidding. All right, and then you have Jacob. Now, some people go, I think, a little too far with Jacob because the Bible doesn't say he's, he's a sissy or anything. The Bible says he's just kind of a homebody. He yeah. likes to stay at home. He has a particular set of skills. He has a particular set of skills, all right? And so he likes to be at home, and he's obviously smart because his name even means, like, deceiver, and you've got to be smart to be able to do that. And the Bible said that Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah, who had heard from the Lord, she loved Jacob. And so one day, Scripture records in Genesis 25 that, that um, Jacob had just made a pot of red lentils. And so Esau coming in from the fields, he's tired, he's hungry, he wanted some of that pottage. And so he actually commanded his brother to feed him. And Jacob, not being one to miss out on an opportunity because he is very smart, or at least he's very cunning at this point, he agrees to give Esau this bowl of beans as long as as, as long as he gives him his birthright. As long as yeah. Esau gives him his birthright. I mean, think about that for a moment. Jacob says, sure, you can have this pot of red beans, but you've got to sell me your birthright for it. Now, the, this is really for me more than anything, but the, the birthright was separate from the blessing in the sense that the birthright was just, I mean, was the birthright the entire inheritance? The birthright is the inheritance, but it's not, the birthright was not, that blessing from right. the father, because the, because you also everyone or usually you know if if you get if you were blessed enough to die in an old age you would bless your children. I guess what I'm asking is so Esau gives away his birthright. Does that mean he gives away his entire inheritance, or is that is it separate from that somehow? Well, Esau agrees to sell his birthright. Jacob still has to be able to get all of this from his father. And so okay. that really becomes the next step of the story. Okay. And yeah, it's yeah. actually years, it's probably years later when this actually happens, because tradition does say, all right, about the inheritance and the birthright, it's always to the firstborn. Jacob wanted it, and Esau in his flesh was willing to give up all of that inheritance for a bowl of beans. So think about that for a moment. You got this story where the firstborn or the children of the flesh they're so willing to give up their inheritance just to fulfill their appetite in the moment. But this isn't the end of the story, because as we talked about, there's a whole other piece to this, because even though Esau has sold him his birthright, in quotations, all right, he's still got to be able to get this from, from his father, Isaac, and he still has to be able to get that blessing from his father. And so the Bible says sometimes later, sometime later, Isaac was growing old, and he's actually old for a long time in the Bible, if you've read it, because he lives many years <laughs> after this. But he's old and his eyes are growing dim. And so he calls his oldest son Esau to him. And basically he says, you know, I don't know how much longer I have to live. So he would actually live to be like, I think it's 180. All right, but that's another story for an, another day. Um, he tells his son, we, we would really love to have some venison to eat, but not just any meal. Isaac wanted his favorite meal. And so I imagine his whole family knew what this favorite meal was because 
when he told Esau of this, all right, Isaac says, if you do this, my soul will be blessed and then I can die. And so Esau readily understands what he's saying because the Bible says he goes out because he's going to go get it. Well, it just so happened that Rebekah had overheard, all right, and by, by the way, by this time, Jacob and Esau, they're adults, okay, and, and, J- and Esau's actually married, so he's over 40 at this time. And so Rebekah overhears this, and she goes to her other son, Jacob, as soon as Esau leaves, the Bible says, and she tells him everything, and she tells him that what she had heard, and she told Jacob, this is what you're going to do, Jacob. You're going to go to the flock, you're going to fetch two kid goats, and we're going to make Isaac's favorite dish. And Jacob argued, well, you know, my father, he's going to find out. And then if he finds out, he may just curse me and not bless me because Esau's really hairy and I'm not. I'm actually kind of smooth, the Bible records. And so Rebecca told him that she's got all this covered. And if any curse comes upon him for deceiving his father, she would have that curse fall upon her. Pretty interesting there. And so Rebecca makes Isaac's favorite meal, and she, of all people, should know what your favorite meal is. Yes, okay. you would think so. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure your wife knows what your favorite meal is. Yes, she does. Yeah, and she knows just how to cook it to make it just right. Right. All right, so um, this is kind of what's going on with Rebecca. And so the, the Bible says she makes that meal, and then she takes some of Esau's clothes that were actually left in her house, And she takes those and she puts skins of goats on Jacob's hands and on his neck. And she puts those clothes on them. You know, they've kind of got that smell of of Esau on them. And so then she gives Jacob the meat and she gives him some bread. And Jacob goes into Isaac. Isaac, though he questioned during the event, was ultimately convinced that this Jacob was actually Esau. And so he took his meal and he ate it. The Bible says that he blessed Jacob with the promise. So not just like a blessing, but he blessed him with the promise. Right. Because he himself had been blessed with the promise from his father, Abraham. So he understood what that blessing of the promise was. So he blessed Jacob with this promise. And he says this, that you will be Lord over your brethren. Just like God had told Rebekah so long ago that the elder will serve the younger Isaac is telling Jacob, who he thinks is Esau, you're going to be Lord over all of your brethren. So as soon as Jacob leaves, the Bible says Esau arrives with his meal, and when he he enters, Isaac actually trembles because he realizes he had already been tricked by Jacob. And so he tells Esau, well, I've already blessed Jacob. And so the Bible records Esau as crying bitterly because Jacob had already taken the blessing. So this is kind of that. I mean, think about that for a moment. Your brother deceives. You already sold your birthright to him for a bowl of beans. The only thing you have left is this blessing of promise. And he takes that, too. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the the first one, he can't really be all that upset about. But the second one, obviously, you know, that was a pretty blatant move of deception on Jacob's Jacob's part. So what happens later is a. I'm not going to say he should have done it, but it, it, it's kind of understandable, you know? Right. right. Then the Bible actually records Esau gets so mad at this point, he wants to kill. He wants to kill his brother. Yeah. And he basically says, as soon as dad dies, it's, it's free game, and I'm going after him, and I'm going to kill him. Uh, well, and that's pretty similar to Cain and Abel, right? Because, yeah. you know, like, yeah, in the same way that 
Cain was rejected by God, um, by whatever you want to call it, by by omission, Esau is being uh, is being rejected by his father. Exactly. You know, even just by negligence, if nothing else. You yes. know, so uh, so you you know that just adds to the to the pattern there. So. Exactly, exactly. And so this is the pattern that Paul is trying to use to describe these people that God hates, or these people who God hated, this idea, this, this topic that I have that's, that's very polarizing. But it's the Esau's of the world that Paul is talking about. It's these children of the flesh. It's those who sell all their inheritance for a, a bowl of beans to satisfy yeah. their belly. You see, the promise and the inheritance is going to represent something that the Jews have not maybe discovered yet at this point, and, and they're going to be shown later on in scriptures and even in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. And it's this argument that Paul is going to give for the Jews being rejected. He tells them, you're like the firstborn. You're the flesh. You're the Esau. You are the ones that God had originally called out to be his people. All right? But you've become, after the flesh, you've become like Esau. Hebrews would describe it as thus. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, just like you said, Brother Timmy, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Having shown that all peoples, the Jews and the Gentiles alike, were under the domination of sin and death, Paul is going to, in Romans chapter 4, appeal again to what the Old Testament is trying to tell them about Abraham. When he says this right here, the solution, he says, in Romans chapter 11, is that this olive tree, Paul's going to take, this olive tree is going to be the symbol for Israel as the historical people of God. He identified these new Jewish Christians like himself as the root of the olive tree. And then he says the Gentiles that have come on, thank goodness for Cornelius, since the Gentiles have come on, they're like the branches that have been cut off from a wild olive tree and grafted onto this olive tree, all right, representing God's people. Yes. But those Jews who did not accept the gospel, Paul then describes as being the branches now cut off from the olive tree. But maybe in the future, they'll be capable of being grafted back on. And it's because that the Gentiles now have been accepted. They've been grafted onto this olive tree. They've been called now the children of promise. It's because of this. It's since the time of Cornelius, since they've experienced that second birth, that new birth experience that we talk about in Christianity, it would be that instance that Jesus would tell Nicodemus must first take place if you ever want to see the kingdom of heaven. We read this, you've probably heard in John chapter 3. You know the story of Nicodemus. The Bible says there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. If you think about this, he's a Pharisee, he's a ruler of the Jews. Do you think he has any sort of uh, education in the scriptures. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know he's going to. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler. He's an educated man. He's going to understand the scriptures and the prophets of old. All right. The Bible says that that same man, he comes to Jesus at night because maybe he's not so sure. He doesn't want the other Pharisees finding out. And by the way, this is the same Nicodemus um, that's going to partner <laughs> uh, with a man to bury the body of Jesus Christ. Yep. And so this is a really cool thing because he's going to have an experience here with the Lord that changes him because right. he comes to God and he says, he calls him rabbi, which means teacher. So he, he understands, yes, he knows the scripture, but this man, he's a teacher. And he says, teacher, we know that you're a teacher from God. No man can do all of these miracles that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answers and said, well, let me tell you something. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Yes. Now think about this for a moment. It's just this, this educated man just walks up to Jesus and says, hey, it's nighttime. No one's looking. Hey, I just want you to know that you have to come from God because no man can do what you do and not come from God. And Jesus could have said a lot of things. He could have said, thanks, man. That meant a lot to me. Or, or I'm glad you see that. Or, you know, how great that you're able to, to know this, even though you're part of some of the problems that are going on. But Jesus doesn't. He looks at him and he says, I'm going to tell you something. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Yep. Think about that. You know, just, you know how you were born the first time? You got to do that again. It, well, that's what Nicodemus thinks, because yep. he says, well, how can I do this when I'm old? Am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? Gross. Stuff Nasty. you don't hear in Sunday school. Should I go back in my mother's womb and then come back out again and be born? <laughs> Jesus looks at him and says, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then he says something that Paul has been saying, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. Nicodemus, don't look at me like that. Right. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Yes. Because I've, 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 I've explained this all the way through the old, all the way through the prophets of all people, Nicodemus, you should know what I'm talking about. Right. The prophecies have all been there. The patterns have all been there. And then Jesus says, the wind's going to blow and it's going to list and you're going to hear the sound thereof, but you're not going to be able to tell where it's coming from or where it's going. And that's how those that are born of the spirit are going to be. So Nicodemus, he turns and looks at Jesus and he says, how can these things be? And Jesus says, are you not a master of Israel? Yeah. Just like when he said, Marvel, are you not a master? Do you not know these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know. And we testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. Well, the, uh, you know, being a, a teacher and uh, having such a knowledge of the scripture um, of the Old Testament, particularly for, for people like Nicodemus and, uh, you know, anybody in the Bible that, that has a hard time getting it, it's a double-edged sword for them, you know, because they, they while well, yes, they do, and, you know, Jesus is, obviously he's probably not actually surprised, but he acts surprised. He's like, why, why do you not know this stuff? You've been studying this your whole life. Why would you not know this? But for Nicodemus, he's, it's like we were talking about earlier. 
his theology was informed by what he thought the Messiah was going to look like, exactly. what he thought salvation was going to look like. Um, and anything so, else that doesn't fit, yeah, gets thrown out. Yeah, or at least, or or at least just uh, disregarded. Just you know, it, it doesn't. You know, I'm just not. I'm 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 not even willing to to acknowledge that. You know, so uh, so I think it's important to um, every time you you look at these people, it's easy to be like, uh, yeah, Jesus is right. Nicodemus should have understood it, but I mean, he had a lot of stuff to to kick back against. It was crazy that he was even there in the first place. But the what is interesting to me about that part where he goes up to Jesus and he says, he says, I just want you to know that we know. He doesn't go up and say, I know. He's saying, no, this is something that all of the Pharisees are talking about. Like, we know that you've got power from God. We know that there's something going on with this. And they're not willing to say it, but I just want to let you know that I know, you know. And then Jesus proceeds to let him know that he doesn't know anything at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, it, and it's really interesting because it's going to be Nicodemus who steps up at one point when, when they're going to stone Jesus. And he yeah. tries to actually talk to them a little bit. And again, it's Nicodemus who will be part of that burial of, of Christ's body. And so I always wonder, you know, what does happen to Nicodemus? Did he finally understand the scriptures that Jesus was talking about? And did he get to experience this new birth? Uh, that we learn about in the book of Acts. And so Jesus, just like Paul was talking about in Romans, he understood the Old Testament. He understood those stories of the founding faith fathers, and they all pointed to this concept. And so how could the Jews not know this? It's been right in front of their eyes the whole time. And each generation would pass it down to the next. As Jacob was dying, Joseph, this, so this even goes on, and Paul didn't even, he didn't mention necessarily this part, but Jacob, he, he's going to extend this story even more because when he's dying, he gets sick and Joseph finds out his son. And this is after they've, they, they're all in Egypt again and the famine's over and, and, and Joseph and his, his brethren, they're all back together. And so everything seems fine except for Jacob's dying. He's sick. And so the Bible says that Joseph comes and he brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, with him to see his father. And when you read this, you really discover well, this is probably the first time that Jacob actually probably gets to meet Ephraim and Manasseh or he's just so old that he forgets. But I'm going to say this is probably the first time he actually gets to meet them. And so when Joseph arrives, Jacob tells his son about his encounter with the Lord that changed his life. He basically kind of gives him a little testimony, if you would. And then he tells Joseph that his two sons are going to be like his own and be known as the children of Israel. And, and we'll know these as the tribes of Ephraim and the tribe of Manasseh. And so Jacob then he sees his grandsons for the first time, and the Bible says he rejoices, and he asks Jacob to bring them close to him so that he could bless them like he would bless his own sons. Yes. We saw this with Abraham. We saw this with Isaac. And now the Bible is letting us see this pattern again clearly with Jacob because he's now taken in Ephraim and Manasseh. And again, we say Ephraim and Manasseh, but who's the younger? Ephraim. I actually forget which one. <laughs> Ephraim is the younger. So again, just like we say yeah. Jacob and Esau, we're, we're using the second born first, but, but really they were second. But there's a reason we say their names first. Because Joseph, he's going to take Manasseh and he's going to place Manasseh to his father's right hand, yes. which is where the power always comes from, your right hand. Raise your right hand. That's why you raise your right hand in court. 
That's where the power is. It sits on the right hand of God. This is all about the power. So the promise is going to come, and Joseph puts Manasseh right there for his father to bless him with the promise. And he places his younger son Ephraim to his father's left hand. But the Bible says that just like Jacob's story and his father's before him, Jacob is going to understand that the promise isn't going to the firstborn. And so the Bible says Jacob purposefully crosses his hands so that his right hand lands on Ephraim and his left hand lands on Manasseh. Now, Joseph thought his father made a mistake because he's old, he's sick. So he grabs Jacob's hand as if to remove it from Ephraim, telling his father that, hey, Manasseh's the firstborn. And the Bible says that Jacob simply replies, I know it, my son. I know it. So he, he's trying he says, to teach I know what I'm doing. Him. Yes, and he's, yeah. he's trying to teach him something. He's like, just, just, just watch. Watch, Joseph, because this is important. All of, all, all of you Jews, you need to see this. You need to understand. I know that Manasseh's the firstborn, but he's not, he's not the promise. And so he puts his right hand, the Bible says, on Ephraim, and that becomes the children or the child of the promise. And while you were talking about that just now, um, you know, it mirrors Jacob and Esau, but it also mirrors Abraham, I, I think even more so, because, um, you know, he, he brings them up to Joseph. Jace, Jacob brings them up to Joseph, right? Joseph yeah. brings them to Jacob. Joseph brings them to Jacob. I'm getting them backwards. It's okay. Uh, we do it all the time, these names. But uh, he brings them up to him, and he he stages them how he wants it to go. Exactly. You know, the same way that Abraham, you know, he, he's waiting on the promise of God. He, uh, he has a baby with Hagar. And then even later on, you know, he's talking to God. He's like, why, why won't you just take Ishmael? Exactly. Just go ahead and just, I understand that you had, that you have a plan. Um, I just want to help you out. You know what I'm saying? He's exactly. Like, it's like he's doing God a solid or something like that, you know? Exactly. This is exactly what's going on, Timmy. This is exactly... But what he doesn't understand is the pattern was always about the second birth. Always. The promise always lied within the second birth, not the first birth. Paul describes it again. I keep saying the children of the flesh versus the children of promise. Jesus described it to Nicodemus as the flesh versus the spirit. And so some of you are probably thinking, "Well, well, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. What about, that ver- what about that verse in the Bible that says there, that there is no respecter of persons with God? Well, what do you have to say about that, Brother Justin and Brother Timmy? He's not. That's why it's all about the second birth. Yes. That's why we have yes. to have the second birth, because he's not the respecter. Anyone can have it. It just so happens that the first birth, the firstborn, the flesh, They'll sell it. They don't keep it. They don't become that children of the promise. Yes. Well, the, it's important to emphasize that the second birth is for everyone. Is for everyone. Every single person can have it. So there is no respect of persons because everybody has the same shot at it. That's, you know? that's exactly where we're going, Brother Timmy, because in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, Peter looks at him and he says, you've got to repent. You've got to be baptized. Every one of you. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he goes on and he says this. He just pulls it out of nowhere. He says, the promise is unto you 
and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The writer of Hebrews authored an entire chapter on the heroes of the faith. He told all these stories of old, and then he says, I can't even put them all in here because there's so many. And then he pins in the very next chapter a parallel to all of those stories. And he says this right here. He says, you're not coming to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor of blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them anymore, for they cannot endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. He said, you're not like, you're, you're not like those that, that can't come to God, that can't come to that mountain where God would, would meet the people at, and they would run away at the very sound of his voice because they were so afraid that they would hear him speak again, that they would even stone the animals that would come close. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I seek, I, I exceedingly fear, and I quake. You're not like those people. That would be the firstborn. They can't come to the mountain where God's at. They can't hear his voice. But you're coming to Mount Zion, Paul says, and into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which were written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that, they, that ye refuse not him that speaketh. He's saying, don't be a child of the flesh. Don't refuse him that speaketh. Don't get to that mountain and turn away. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, re-receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You see, I say all of this to say when I'm talking about people God hates, and I'm talking about the firstborn, talking about the second birth and the promise, is simply what Paul was trying to say when he told the Jews that God was rejecting them and accepting the Gentiles. Grace does not run in the blood. It's not something you can just inherit like Esau thought it was. If that was the case, how easily our flesh would sell it off, would sell off this grace that God had given us like Esau did just to satisfy our own lust. You see, grace and this new birth experience, it's something we have to die to, which is why Paul says, I die daily, I'm crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I liveth, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You see, something, this grace is something that you must allow to recreate 
who you are, you must have a rebirth of who you are. And it's this grace that does it. This is the rebirth, and this is the promise of Jacob, the promise of Isaac, and the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it's all found in the second birth. Think about it. Isaac, Jacob, Ephraim, and so many others. It's always been about the second birth. And I love what you said there, um, particularly the grace is not running the blood part, because um, even for, you know, because I've been in church my whole life, I mean, within reason, uh, as far as uh, just I've gone to church my entire life, let's put it that way. Um, and I know that, and I've seen people come and go, you know, I've, I've seen, I've seen pretty much everything that you can see as far as, um, what a relationship with God looks like. And, uh, you said that grace does not run in the blood. So we are not born inherently with the, uh, with the, the knowledge of God and with, with salvation and all that stuff. It is something that has to happen at some point in your life, because even for people like me that, were raised in the church and raised around the church and, and I've, I've, you know, did Bible quizzing and all that stuff. Even for me, there was a point in my life where I had to decide, no, this is something that, this is something that I want to do. Like, this is something that, and I, you know, I received the Holy Ghost and was baptized when I was seven years old. But even after that, like it was, it was later on down the line where I was, (laughs) when I actually had decisions that I had to make, you know, with my life that, that I had to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm something different, you know what I'm saying? Like that I was not, I was not born this way. I have to, uh, I have to die daily. Like Paul says, you know, and, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. I just think that's really, really good. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, and this is, I don't even have this anywhere in my notes, so I can't, I can't quote it perfectly, but I love it so much that I named my, my, my second son after this verse. And it's, 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 it's in the, it's in the book of Isaiah. And it's God speaking, and, and God says, come now let us, and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll wash them white as wool. What he's saying is there, there's a time in your life you've got to come to him. Yeah. Y'all are going to have to reason it out. Yes. And when you go through that experience and you have that second birth, he's going to wash your sins whiter than the wool. Because it's always, it's always, Brother Timmy, it's always been about the second birth. The first birth, that was the flesh. And just like the Jews were discovering in Romans, it has no place with God. Or maybe a better way to say it is, it has no community with the Almighty. Yes. But Paul, well, the writer of Hebrews, whether you believe it to be Paul or somebody else, he said it couldn't even come in contact with the mountain that God meets on. It, it, it ran away when it heard his voice. Yeah. That's what the first birth does. Yes. That's what the flesh does for fear of destruction. But it's the second birth that God is after. It's the second birth that he accepts, and it's the second birth that he loves. It's that second birth, that Jacob, that he communes with, that he loves and that he will build a kingdom with. And so I know my title today has been a little deceiving, People God Hates, but maybe, just maybe, it piqued enough interest that someone out there listening could hear this, this story or these patterns of the rebirth and, and discover 
that this isn't something you just get by showing up to church or something you get by being born into a certain family, but this is something that you have to allow to recreate, something that will give you a new life, a rebirth in Christ Jesus. So good. That's what it's all about. Amen. Um, so yeah, if you guys have made it through this hour-long podcast and you're here at the end, um, it probably would be a good idea to go ahead and uh, back up that last 10 minutes and listen to it again because that was good. Absolutely. Was good stuff. Um, but yeah, thanks, Justin, for being here with us today. Um, that is, uh, I am, uh, I'm really excited about how these are turning out. Um, you know, as we go along, different things will change as far as, uh, uh, I'll get better at the, uh, the getting the rhythm down of everything and all of that. But I, I am, uh, I'm just really thankful that you're here. And if you're listening, um, I want to thank you for listening. If you want to get a hold of us and make any suggestions or anything, um, you can reach us at revivalchurchpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. I'll see you later. Amen.